right? Most people in e-com have less than 18 months of experience. I see this. I go to the conferences. They're people that are brand new. So agencies scale their revenue by having repeatable processes that are done by VAs and junior sorts of people. But if the agencies are responsible for strategy and there's only two people or three people in the company that are actually good, then they can't scale. And those three people are going to be used for selling new clients, not on operating on existing clients. Because where, you know, you're the agency owner, where are you going to put those people to close the big deals? Yeah. And that's so everything that's why in house. If you, if you are, if you have an agency, if you are, if you've hired an agency, bring everything in house. So I agree with what Tim's saying, have the agency do the strategy, but have it only done by the principals and no offense, just pretty much ignore all the other things, all the other packages, the other stuff they try to, you know, get more recurring revenue by having a retainer. But really the, the value is like every agency has a couple of these really good people and you want to get those people to work on your account and name them in your contract. You'll meet them the first time because they're the ones you talk to that close the deal. You want to know that that's the person you continue to talk to. Welcome to the e-commerce growth stories podcast. If you worry about your growth, if the business model isn't working anymore, if you're running out of ways to optimize your e-commerce, or if you're looking to get the e-commerce fundamentals right, then that's the show for you. Hello and welcome to a new episode. I'm here with Dennis. Uh, hi, Dennis. How's it going? Valentin, always a pleasure. Excellent. So I'm uh, I'm glad to 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 start this again to make this happen again. Uh, tell us uh, tell us about uh, how you've been and uh, what what you've done in the, the the last week since we haven't seen each other. Well, since the CLV Revolution Summit, which you guys should tune into if you want to know how to increase your CLV. I was at Trafficking Conversion Summit the last couple of days and learning how to do video. A lot of you guys are wondering how to do video on TikTok, Instagram, short form video. I was with the guy who does Alex Hermosi's video and also Grant Cardone's videos. So lots of cool tips, lots of cool things for you guys to be able to grow your e-commerce if you tune in now. That's uh, that sounds uh, sound amazing because they have all this uh, traction, man. They do this uh, fantastic work. They are like a media company. So these these guys, yeah. I mean, they are a media company. I mean, it's not like anymore. All right. So uh, in our today's episode, we're uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a chat together about the 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 main the best ideas that we've got from the speakers at the at uh, the CLV Revolution. And uh, basically, that's uh, that's what we're going to to, to talk about. Uh, Dennis, uh, you can uh, I guess you can see my screen, right? Yep. So, all right. Looks so, great. So in day one, I've uh, I've touched the subject that uh, only a third of the marketers uh, use the data they have about their customers. So in their CRMs, and only six percent of the businesses are making uh, data-driven decisions. And uh, uh, what, what's your, uh, what are your thoughts, Dennis? What do you think? 93.7% of statistics are made up. Perfection. So w- would, would, that be, uh, would that be falling under the 6.3? Yes. <laughs> as long as you make the lie very specific, it's convincing. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, uh, that's one thing. So uh, in your experience, do you think that uh, people are actually uh, trying, uh, trying to, to, to use their data more in the, in, in the last years? What, what are, what, what's your perception? I think nobody's really wanted to use data. And 
it's been kind of a convenient excuse because, you know, the iOS 14 and Google Chrome and all this data being missing just to say, well, let's look at it overall. So we're willing to pay a lot more for the CAC because what really matters is the LTV. So we see a lot of people are willing to have a CAC that is much lower, or much, sorry, much higher than the AOV. But I think less, it seems odd, like you think with more data and more tools that be more data-driven decisions, but very few e-com business owners are looking at it because they don't have data at the channel level or the, the owner knows this, but the different people on the team aren't really data savvy because they're employees and it's not their money. Yeah. Excellent. So we can move on to the, to the next one. So Carl Gillis uh, uh, said something which uh, I, I, I am resonant completely with it. So uh, he stated that the sale isn't done until the customer is seeing a result. And uh, that's the moment when you can uh, celebrate as a company when the customers are, are having a success with your product, no matter what product it is. And I, uh, uh, I think that's, uh, that's uh, hard to measure uh, as companies are simply shipping the products and they have the hypothesis that everyone is happy with what they've shipped. Well, there's always a delay between when they purchase and when they get the product. And yep. then there's all kinds of things that can happen along the way. Like I bought this, you know, I bought on a health kit. I bought this blood pressure monitor and it gave me some incorrect readings. So I'm sure that they have a whole thing saying that, you know, if you don't know how to use it properly, here's some help. But, you know, I didn't give them five stars on Amazon because I wasn't fully happy. And then another one, I, brought, I bought another heart, you know, blood pressure monitor. And then they sent me this just now. They said, if you leave us review, we'll give you a free $10 Amazon gift card. <laughs> so I think they very much care. They, they very much know that the purchase is not the real point to measure. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's correct. And uh, although we we have these uh, moments throughout the customer journey, when you place the order, you are a bit reluctant if you haven't bought from that store again or that kind of product. So you need to treat that uh, emotional and uh, uh, let's say buyer's remorse. Mm. Then you have another moment when you are sending, you you are getting the product, but you haven't tested out yet, and you need to give the the path to success so that's why you need to guide the customers as you've said with the blood pressure monitor and then you have the last moment when you've said oh yeah this is working and i think that's the moment when you are more willing to to to, to pay off to the company that sent you that uh, that product although most of the companies after they ship the product they push the next uh, the, the next products uh, on you <clears throat> which is not the, the right thing to do mm. all right moving uh, moving for further uh, the, um, Fiona Stevens uh, stated something interesting that due to inflation, there are more people actually willing and expecting emails from from uh, companies to to buy products uh, at a discount due to the higher prices in the, the the last period. And that means you you have to leverage that. However, you need to earn their uh, trust in uh, in advance. So simply bombarding uh, strangers with your uh, Fantastic offers is not going to make it. Well, everything's costing more. So I think more opportunity to have sales, especially because not everything is going up, but not everyone's affected by supply chain management. Yeah. Especially if you start doing things like bundling or pulling in services or um, with the product, you also include a course or other pieces. You can have larger perceived discounts without increasing your direct cost. 
That's right. All right, going uh, going further, Jin Lee, uh, she she uh, she stated something that you can use the data in order to understand if you have managed to 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 build uh, the trust. So basically, in no matter the tools that you are using, no matter the data models that you are using, what matters is that you can you you should be able to understand if you've earned the trust of your. Uh, of your customers instead of uh, short-term wins, which basically for uh, products that uh, ha are uh, are having a, a high purchase frequency. So basically, when when customers supposedly buy more of your products, you should uh, aim for the for the long term, which means you should be able to to understand what kind of trade-offs can you do on the on the short term, and that means you you should be able to get the right data so that you can understand, okay, how much can I afford to sacrifice at the beginning so that I have customers which are actually using and uh, are uh, appreciating the products that I'm selling. I agree with the idea of building trust, but Valentin, how would you measure that? I don't know, June, we, we should ask, uh, we should ask June. And uh, <laughs> uh, one, one thing to, to understand if you are able to, to, to earn trust is uh, to monitor the, the, to have a, high enough response rate at your uh, post usage uh, NPS surveys. Mm. So when you know that uh, basically you are selling coffee and you know that the consumption happens in two weeks after the purchase. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if you have enough customers which are A, responding to your NPS, B, giving you a high NPS score, and C, clicking on your uh, overlays to actually share the, the products that they have bought, I think that that's that's the best thing that you could uh, you could measure. Do you remember Google when they released all this stuff about the zero moment of truth? Oh yeah. And this is the big thing. I partially disagree, but their idea was that the you know the first moment of truth is like when you see it on TV. You see the box of cereal, delicious. Second moment of truth is when you're in the shopping or in the supermarket and you you take the cereal and you put it into the shopping cart. Third moment of truth is a couple of weeks later, you pull it out of your pantry and you actually eat the cereal and you enjoy the cereal. And Google said that the zero moment of truth, because everyone in advertising, there's always been the three moments of truth. Yeah. Google said that the zero moment of truth was that people are searching or they're watching YouTube videos. And this is well ahead of when companies are running like advertisements ahead of it, yeah. which can affect word of mouth, you know, social media. I think you could argue is a zero moment of truth, reviews, but I think that there's something much deeper than impressions that you push at people. There's a lot of it that can't be measured. So if we have sequences along the way to communicate with these customers, especially in social media, we have a lot more data to, that's beyond NPS. There's all kinds of flaws with NPS. You know, I love NPS, but there's flaws. A lot of people are not going to answer those surveys. Yeah. So I think if you find the true sentiment and you run ads, not just to buy, but ads as market research, click-through rate is actually a very good indicator of trust. That's true. I, I, I have, a, I have a, an example, a story. There's a marketplace in Belgium, and they sell uh, vegan, healthy, whatever type of uh, uh, grocery uh, things. And they've, uh, they haven't got enough responses, and they haven't got uh, their customers coming back with what they've presumed in their uh, economic models. So 
their idea to increase the number of uh, responses and the feedback and to increase the customer lifetime value was to hire 40 people from Madagascar where the uh, uh, the average income per, per uh, person is 20 times less than it was in Belgium. So basically mm. they've got, instead of hiring two people to call out their customers, they called everyone because they were also French speaking people over there, mm. which were, and, and very hard working. So that was their, uh, their way to increase the response rate and to increase the, improve the trust because after you mm. buy, I don't know, grocery is not like uh, you, you expect someone to actually call you. Mm. So there are many ways to, to, to achieve that. You just need to be creative about it. Mm. You know, the, the iPhone 14 just came out and I like it so much. I ordered a second one just today <laughs> or actually yeah, like yesterday, whatever. And I went to the Apple site and I chatted with their support and I sent them a screenshot of my purchase confirmation. I paid $1,800 because I have it with everything on. I always buy the iPhone with everything, you know, and they said, sorry, we don't accept images. Then I replied back and, and inside the Apple iMessage, I replied back to the chat saying, that's ridiculous that you don't accept messages. Then they replied back and said, oh, we don't accept voice either. You have to type back. And I said, oh, okay, fine. Here's my order. And it says it's not my iPhone. My, it's not going to come for a month. Can you ship it to me faster, right? It's on standard shipping. Can you not like FedEx it or like give it to me earlier? Because before I've been able to order this and like, okay, fine. We'll just give it, you know, it'll show up like a couple days later. Sometimes it happens, right? And they said, yeah. nope, this is the fastest shipping you can possibly get. You cannot get it any sooner because it's given in the order that, you know, in the order that you order it is when you receive your phone. I'm saying a whole month for an iPhone? I think you guys are putting false scarcity out there to make the iPhone look super popular, right? Even though maybe it is, maybe they do have shortages in chips in China or something like that. Yeah. And then after that, it said, hey, would would you like to rate our service, you know, and do this whole survey? I'm like, no, I'm not going to give you. But if you want me to do the survey, I think you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was today. <laughs> How about Apple, right? Apple is normally a customer that you would think understands those different touch points. And they have a great product. But I disagree with this idea of scarcity where they intentionally make you wait to make the product look like it's even more popular. Yeah. And uh, the, the bad thing is that they are the benchmark, right? One of the benchmarks of uh, companies that are customer centric. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't from a retailer, right? It was for their, from on their own store. I went on their website. And if there was any kind of customer loyalty or, or customer lifetime value, they would see I've probably spent $60,000 on Apple products. You know, every yeah. time the new MacBook Pro comes out, I buy it for employee. You know, if I, include, if I include all the employees, I probably spent a quarter million dollars in Apple products. Yeah. So uh, yeah. that should count for something, you think? <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they, they. Uh, I think the bigger the company is, the more they are uh, uh, analyzing everything through the lens of immediate uh, numbers instead of looking on the uh, on the long run. Because if you would be having uh, real alternatives. Or uh, at some moment, I think it's how pissed off you are, you know, because, mm. because there there are devices over there besides those uh, Apple uh, Apple products. Yeah. But unfortunately, uh, 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 not all of them are, are are working, or they've built this type of uh, perception around how yeah. they work. True. I guess they know I'm not going to buy a Samsung, so I'm willing to tolerate this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Going further, Roger Dooley. Uh, he he he's stating uh, something uh, uh, 
about how nowadays the the uh, the companies are pushing the the products by increasing motivation. However, they are neglecting something which is very important, which is the friction. So mm. uh, if, if you make things easier for your customers, you might have a good surprise about uh, uh, increasing your, your KPIs. I've known Roger Dooley for probably almost 20 years. <laughs> Back when Roger Dooley was all about blogs, and SEO, and he was talking about how you needed to make 100 blog posts, and now he's moved into this neuromarketing and yeah. you know, convincing people using like brain wizardry. I think the, the, the summarization of all this neurologic, you know, brain scientist stuff is the younger generations are just lazy and impatient, right? They wanna have it now, they don't, the, this whole low friction, make it easy, is make it so that I can literally say, Alexa, please order a refill of this one thing. And I don't want to have to decide all the options. I don't want to have to choose the price. The reason Amazon dominates is not because they have the lowest price, it's because you can just one-click order the thing. So I think yeah. that it's incredible. Like, that's why like, things like free shipping work so much, because you don't have to worry about what, you know, to just, there's less to think about. Like, that's what it is. That's People true. are less price sensitive. It's crazy. And uh, that, that's that that that's changed so quickly. I mean, if you look if you look behind it, everything changed with this uh, with the new generations, and uh, uh, that that also changed in the uh, in the workforce. So basically, now now you have to uh, you you have this quiet quitting uh, thing, you know, and you you have so so many people which are disconnected from uh, having uh, their best, fantastic, outstanding life due to short term uh, short term gains. Which I think it's uh, is going to change for for sure, but it's uh, it's kind of strange to see so many people which are demotivated. I, I was seeing another statistic, which might be false or not, that uh, only something like 14 percent of the uh, people are happy uh, at work. You know, are engaged and happy uh, about their work. Mm. That's crazy. I saw a stat from a well-known. TikTok advertising guy that 30% of Gen Z folks have used crypto to purchase online in the last year. What? <laughs> and you've you seen the stat too, that they're doing more searches on TikTok than they are on Google. That's incredible. It just shows well, you how out of touch I am with that generation. Yeah. <laughs> All right, going, uh, going further about this guy, Dennis Yu. He, he stated that companies have a higher uh, customer acquisition uh, cost than the first uh, purchase because uh, the, the the traffic cost and uh, that's why you need to to uh, balance this with the customer lifetime value. So what, what tell us more about this, uh, Dennis. I was talking with Rudy Maurer yesterday, and this guy spends quarter million dollars a day on Facebook ads. I was also talking yesterday with uh, Kurt Malley too. He's also a big Facebook advertiser, does a ton of acquisition, a lot of other friends at this at the Traffic and Conversion Summit. And the, the trend is everyone is spending beyond their, their, their CAC is greater than their AOV because they know they're going to make it back when they have all the other upsells or retention. So for example, I'm a partner in a sock company, socks with like, this is Neil Patel's face, right? Mm -hmm. And you can buy these socks for $25 with anyone's face, your face, right? But our cost of acquisition is $30 for a $25 sock. But we know people will order three times 
because they're going to order again for their friend or the birthday or the anniversary or for their wife or whatever it might be. And the cost of traffic has gone up. I think the average cost on Facebook is about a $20 CPM. It was $10 two years ago. It was $8 three years ago. It was about $5 or $6 four years ago. So the base cost of traffic, independent of conversion rate and bid objective, is you know, four or five times higher than it was a couple of years ago. So that means the cost per click is higher because the conversion rate is still the same. So the cost of acquisition is higher. And it's true on Google as well. So it doesn't matter whether it's you know, e-com or lead gen, it's the same thing. And all the e-com guys are moving in the lead gen, like the lipstick players are collecting email addresses to make recommendations on the kind of skin that you have and making you know, some beauty recommendation, right? Yeah. Everything's moving towards, as you know, already you know, loading LTV so you can afford to spend more on the CAC. And anyone that's not doing that is just going to be shut out, at least if they rely on advertising, which everyone who's scaling reliably is using advertising. I think we are living some uh, some interesting uh, times. If we will look behind in 10 years from now, we we would think, how was that even possible? You know, how how was it even possible for companies not to measure what they can gain down the line from from their customers and still bid? And I think that was uh, hap that happened due to the fact that it was still doable. You know, I mean, they were still kind of profitable, and they they continued to do so until these uh, these days. It was easy, right? I remember the days 10 years ago doing e-commerce. Man, I wish I had put more money in and did more, you know, was a little bit more aggressive 10 years ago or 15 years ago where you could be profitable on the first sale. And you didn't have, have to have all these sequences and discounts and Black Friday, Cyber Monday kind of stuff. On the first sale, you're profitable. You didn't have to yeah. follow up with coupons, you know, 20% off if you buy the next thing. Now you have to. And everything was like a bonus, you know. If they come yeah. back, you considered it a bonus. Mm-hmm. And we were emailing everyone the exact same thing. We were blasting everyone. Like we did this for Rosetta Stone. We had one of the biggest Black Fridays ever of any company in e-commerce. We spent, I think, $2 million a day on Facebook ads and a million dollars a day on Google ads. And we were spending so much money that Google and Facebook flew into our office and took us out to eat and went to the sports games and things like that. And we, were, we had an email list of 12 million people, right? This is Rosetta Stone, learning languages, I think we were the largest, as far as, I, as Google told us, we were the largest direct marketing company that didn't rely on the retail brand, like without, without relying upon Barnes and Noble and Walmart mm -hmm. and Costco and those channels that we, we were the largest that was still doing direct sell. Yeah. Billions of dollars, right? Largest mm -hmm. direct marketing company at that time, what, four or five years ago. And yeah. we were very unsophisticated. We were just... We would blast our email list four times a day during Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Uh, I, and I think, uh, yeah. I think this, uh, these days would be uh, completely gone. I mean, if someone yeah. waits for the uh, CPC to go down uh, <laughs> like, like a miracle, those things are not going to, 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 to uh, come back anymore. Right. All right. Going uh, going further, Michael Lorenzos discussed the link between uh, the acquisition and customer lifetime value, and your your customer lifetime value determines how much you can invest uh, in your ads. It was pretty pretty much related with with what we talked about. Uh, I, I do remember some quote from uh, Jeff Bezos that uh, states that stated something that uh, the one who's winning a market is the one who's who can afford to pay the most to acquire a customer, and uh, I, I think that's that's. 
uh, that's true nowadays uh, more than uh, any time. So we, we've seen uh, that uh, Bezos' strategy was fantastic. You know, he 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 promised a, a, a bright future. He got enough money to fill the present growth, and basically he he wiped out the the, the, the market with this strategy. Well, I think Bezos also said that advertising is the price you pay for having a bad product. <laughs> and he also said, your margin is my opportunity, which is another way of also saying, you, you, you know, competition and advertising will drive the profit to nothing. Yeah, that's true. All right, going, uh, going further, Dennis Strom uh, gave us the, the idea that when we work with influencers, you need, we need to understand if those influencers are actual influencers and relevant to the audience that we have. Uh, because some influencers could be making uh, the products more attractive or, or some influencers don't even have the traction to, to get, to get uh, uh, customers for, for your brand. I think influencer marketing is dead. And anyone who claims to be an influencer is not an influencer because that's like claiming you're handsome. No, <laughs> or claiming that you're intelligent. I'm not going to claim I'm intelligent. What, that doesn't mean you're not intelligent? Influencers have moved, the new term for this is creator. And a creator is someone who is actually a customer of that product, not just because they're famous. So a friend of mine, Josh Snow, he has the Snow Teeth Whitening, whitening product. He's almost a nine-figure business now, right? Selling his teeth whitening. But he had Floyd Mayweather. He had Kim Kardashian. He had a bunch of these A-list celebrities, really famous people. And he found that those influencers... The ads with them performed way less, way, not even close to as good as people who are not very well-known, but like B-list. They still had an audience, but they weren't A-list celebrities. It cost less to get them. You didn't have to go through all this like hoopla with the agents. And more importantly, the, the videos that they made were more trustworthy. Yeah. To get their niche audience instead of like getting LeBron James to say, oh, I use this vitamin, right? People know LeBron James would be paid to say this. So they don't really trust it. So I, I think influencer marketing is dead. I think elevating your actual customers who have an audience and those customers who know how to use YouTube and TikTok is very much the future. It's UGC. Yeah, because otherwise it sounds, uh, it, it sounds fake and it's so 2016 maybe. I do know uh, about one of, one of our customers, Glamnetic.com. So it, was, it used to be... Uh, uh, building her own audience, and then she launched her la uh, magnetic lashes brand, and mm. now it's uh, it, it, the, she has an eight-figure uh, uh, e-commerce based on what she built because she was obsessed about this thing about beauty and whatever, and she uh, she was more authentic and attracting the customers that were uh, the her future uh, customers, and I think that's that's the way to go for uh, for creators. Good for her. She's a figurehead and everybody who's selling a product needs to have a figurehead. Yeah. Going further, Talia Wolf, uh, she, she uh, stated something important about conversion rate that is not about uh, changing elements on, on the website. It's about solving people's problems. So it, it's it, the idea when you do experimentation and when you change things on your website, it's not about changing them. It's about making that uh, those aligned with solving people's problems and making it relevant for, for, for them. And relevance yeah. is the key keyword here. Yeah. It's not about tools for building landing pages or the color of the button. Yes, on solving problems, 
But the second part is you also have to address unspoken objections, such as, will this product work for me? Am I able to use it? Is it too complicated? Is it too expensive? What will my friends think if I buy the product? So the, prob- the product can solve the problem, but if you don't also overcome the objections directly, people won't buy yeah, and you 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 have this uh, on a website. There there are there are so many things. I was looking uh, recently at uh, the new the new the latest uh, product page from Amazon. So they are squeezing all these uh, all these things somehow that they are hitting all the objections that you could have. Like uh, if it's too expensive, you could go to their own collection of uh, used products. Uh, if it's uh, when will you get it? You can get it by tomorrow, but it's going to cost you that. So you you have everything is in that page. So you don't have to go to the customer service. You don't have to do anything. It's everything there. So buy buy it. You know. Mm. Amazon takes a good chunk of my money. I was talking to David Meerman Scott last week, and he said the UPS and FedEx people or the Amazon people must think it's like Christmas because every day there's two or three deliveries from Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right and uh we we also had uh, robert craven uh, explained that uh, the the power that the agencies are having it's uh, nothing that they had before because they they f- they finally get into understanding how the their customers uh, work so the how an e-commerce works so basically they have they are now being uh, hired to consult on on strategy, but they need to wake up to this new reality as well because it's not about uh, tweaking uh, websites. It's not about uh, uh, bidding differently on uh, uh, ads. It, it's about un- using their power to have diverse business models as their clients and helping their customers to, to strategize better. I love Robert Craven. I've seen him for years. We've hung out in London and Europe great agency guy. I like how he focuses on the strategy because most of these agencies, they have a lot of VAs or lower quality workers, but trouble is most agencies aren't strategic themselves. So it's going to be hard for them to advise clients, but for them to unlock value, they have to increase the LTV, not just build a new website or run PPC and agencies that are stuck in a particular function often can't go beyond the boundaries. They're in a straitjacket for that function because the larger companies have a multi-agency environment or there's multiple departments and the agencies don't have the political skill to be able to get beyond those different areas. Totally agree. All right, and uh, last but not the least, uh, Tim Kilroy uh, uh, stated pretty much the same thing that an agency isn't outsourced labor, is now outsourced uh, strategy. Uh, I. Uh, <laughs> I think it's it's so important to understand if you're an e-commerce and you want to hire an agency or you want to fire your existing agency, you need to validate the depth of their understanding about how an e-commerce works. Because many agencies are being built by, let's say, smart experts, which at some moment, uh, in order to become profitable, they hire new people, they train mm. new people, and then they look out and they are they are more working as a sales leader for their organization and they are not training or they are not recruiting uh, good enough uh, consultants for for your business so basically uh, at that moment all they are doing they are standardizing their work and they are not bringing value because the the environment right now is so dynamic that you can't rely on uh, obsolete information anymore 
Well, the dirty secret with agencies, as you know, is that every agency has a couple people that are really good, really awesome in strategy, and they're there to close the sales in the beginning. So you talk to those people and you think, wow, everyone else in the agency that's doing the implementation that works on my account must be amazing too. And then you have some junior people. But no matter, it, it's not like the agency, like you're saying, the agencies are trying to screen to find better quality people that are strategic. It's just not possible. There's only so many people, right? Most people in e-com have less than 18 months of experience. I see this. I go to the conferences. They're people that are brand new. So agencies scale their revenue by having repeatable processes that are done by VAs and junior sorts of people. But if the agencies are responsible for strategy and there's only two people or three people in the company that are actually good, then they can't scale. And those three people are going to be used for selling new clients, not on operating on existing clients. Cause we're, you know, you're the agency owner. Where are you going to put those people to close the big deals? Yeah. And that's so everything that's why in house. If you, if you are, if you have an agency, if you are, if you've hired an agency, bring everything in house. So I agree with what Tim's saying, have the agency do the strategy, but have it only done by the principals and no offense, just pretty much ignore all the other things, all the other packages, the other stuff they try to, you know, get more recurring revenue by having a retainer. But really the, the value is like every agency has a couple of these really good people and you want to get those people to work on your account and name them in your contract. You'll meet them the first time because they're the ones you talk to that close the deal. You want to know that that's the person you continue to talk to. Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic advice to, to, to follow. All right, then Dennis, that was it for, for today. It's a, it's a wrap. We're running out of time. So uh, thanks a lot for being here. Thanks a lot for listening to us and see, we'll see each other in the next episode. Thank you, Valentin. Thank you, everybody. I'd love to hear what your feedback. I'd love to hear, especially if you disagree. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See ya. See ya.